That's got to be the longest sermon illustration I've ever experienced. And it, anyway, let's not go there. Before, let's, I'm going to come up here so you can see me. Six and a half inches above contradiction. Let's just pray. Father God, as we come to your word, help us this morning to just hear what you have to say to each one of us. Help us to be encouraged. Help us to be inspired that we might go on to serve you in all the places and in all the ways that you're leading us. And so, Father God, we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. James. James is writing a letter. How many people have received a letter this week? How many of those letters said HMRC on them? <laughs> letters are sometimes good, sometimes not so good. Um, I've received some good letters this week. But I'm not going to tell you about that. James is writing a letter to a group of people that he knows and knows well. James that we read about in that letter that we had read to us earlier is actually also the son of Mary, Jesus' mother. Jesus grew up in the same household as James, and James would have known Jesus well, how well do you know your brother? James went on. I mean, it's, it's an interesting... I'd love, I'd love to go through the story with you, but time forbids. Jesus uh, and James grew up. That wasn't always a, a wonderful relationship. You can see a little bit more about that. If you look at John chapter 7, you can see that uh, basically James looks like he was trying to get Jesus into trouble, but that's open to interpretation. James went on to be the leader, or one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, where Jesus had exercised his ministry and where a large number, a large number of people had come to trust in Jesus as their saviour, recognising him as the son of God and recognising that through repentance and faith that he offered them new life. Then the church started facing trouble. And again, we could look at Acts chapter 7 and 8, and we see what happens. The church comes under persecution. And that church of many hundreds in Jerusalem scatters, and they're spread out all over the place in small, insignificant communities that are out and about, spread far and wide. And James has a real heart to make sure that they know the truth, and that they're built up. And the whole of the letter of James really is sort of like, um, I, I was tempted this morning to, to have the, the Lego bricks out and so we could all make walls with Lego bricks. But what, what James is doing is he's taking different issues that the church was facing and putting them together, instructing the church on how they respond so that the, these small, insignificant churches that spread far and wide can be encouraged and strengthened and built up in their faith despite all the opposition that they were facing. And being isolated communities, they were quite weak. They were not strong. They were not powerful people. 
And James is really trying to build them up into ongoing, firm believers that will take the message of Jesus out even further. And that's who James is writing to. He has a real heart that these people are encouraged and built up in their faith. He wants to see them standing against all the opposition they were facing. Now, I have to say, I'm, I'm going to say, this is on a personal note. I was encouraged to preach and teach in the church over 40 years ago. And James chapter 3, verse 1 was one of the very first verses that my instructors brought before me, where he says, not many of you should become teachers. <sighs> wow. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Can I resign now? Each of, those, each of us who are called to teach and preach and lead within the church will be judged by a higher standard. And I don't like that idea. But in the interceding 40, 45 years, God has not let, kept me, not let me get away from it. So that's what, that's what James is doing. He's trying to build up the church. He's trying to identify those who are teachers within the church that need to be recognized and understood. So we come to today's passage. Who is wise and understanding among you, he says? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. What he's saying there is you can trust those people who live the life that Jesus has called us to. We could go on to talk more of the fruit of the Spirit. We can trust those leaders where the fruit of the Spirit is seen to be exercised by them. And in fact, that is echoed a little bit further on in this passage that we look at this morning. But the warning, the warning is, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. James is warning that those who do not display the fruit of the Spirit, those that do not teach and preach and lead as given in the Word of God, he uses such strong words. Not only does it not come down from heaven, but it is earthly, it's unspiritual, and is demonic. A serious warning to each one of those churches that they have to avoid what is wrong. They have to avoid that evil practice. But the wisdom that comes down from heaven is first of all pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. 
It's quite clear as we read on through this passage that some of these churches were being quite quarrelsome. They were picking holes in the theology and the life of other churches. And there was this disharmony that was not edifying to God and certainly was not supportive of the mission of the church. And that's the situation of that letter that was written to a group of disparate people across the Middle East, in and around what we would know today as, as Israel, built to protect, encourage, and build up in the church. So what can we take away from this particular passage? Today, if we look at the church, and when I mean the church, I mean those who know and trust Christ as Savior. That is the church. I mean, we heard just last week, the church is not a building, it is the people. I used to have a, a when I used to regularly take services in another church, I used to have a, an overhead that says, when people were walking in, it says, welcome to the church in which the church meets. So the building, not the church, the church is the people. What can we take away from this? Well, the church today in this country and farther afield is not the most popular of places. Because living the life that Jesus has brought us to is not culturally acceptable. We tend to gather in relatively small groups. I'm not sure if this is a small group or not. Do you feel you're a small group? You do. <laughs> I think, actually, I think by the figures, it counts as a middle-sized church which is a bit alarming, isn't it? But we might feel weak and we might feel separated from others. We might feel that perhaps um, we're very vulnerable. So this letter is something for us to take away, something from which we can learn. Um, when I was a teenager, oh dear, when I was a teenager, those were the days, I used to do... I was involved in a number of different sports, one of which was canoeing. And I used to have to do a series of exams in canoeing. And one I remember really well was we had to take our canoes out on this open water. It was a lake. And we had to capsize in the lake. I did mine in February, so it, it scarred me for life. And... When your canoe filled with water, you had to empty it, right it, and put it and get back into it, and then go on your way. Simple, eh? And I remember well that as I did my capsize, as I capsized my boat, the lake was filthy. It was just muddy, silty. Can you imagine? I mean, we saw the river a week ago, didn't we? It was, you know, it was pretty gross. You capsize your boat into the lake. There's nobody there to help you. You have to sort it all out for yourself because that proves you're efficient or proficient, which I'm never sure I was. Empty the boat out with the water on your own. 
and get back into it. And when you first capsize, the water is absolutely filthy and you think, oh my goodness, this is really rank. I can't, I've got to get out of here quickly. But by the time you've righted your, or time you've emptied your boat, righted your boat, your canoe, and got back into it, you forget that the water is so filthy. You've been swallowing it. You've been going under with it. And yet, that's, is that not an image for us today as the church? As we live our lives, we are surrounded by a sea of filth. There is much in the world that is contrary to God's word and contrary to God's teaching. And yet, little by little, as with me in the lake, we forget that it is so bad. We forget that this is really infecting us badly. And it doesn't seem so bad. And that's what James is warning us about. We live in a world that can easily infect us with its standards. What he's reminding the people there is to live by God's standards. And that way God will build his people up. We need to look to those who lead and teach and we need to see them displaying the gifts that James mentions here. We need to see the wisdom that's first of all pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Now, that's fine. But be encouraged that there are those of us that we can look to. There are people we can look to. Now, I don't know about you, but there are some significant characters in my Christian journey going back nearly 50 years that have been particularly significant to me. We had the privilege, when we were first married, of being able to worship at All Souls Langham Place when John Stott was still rector. So we sat under John Stott's ministry. Just one name. There are others that we have had the privilege of working with and being led by. And these people are great examples. Some of them you'll never heard of. If I said to you Nigel Williams, you'd think... Who was that? Was Nigel? Nigel is one of the was one of the most gracious, godly men that you would ever wish to meet, and I had the privilege of working with him. Robin Oak was another outstanding Christian example who finished up as the chief constable of the Isle of Man because nowhere else would have him. These people have been instrumental in our journey, so I'd encourage you this morning: Who can you look to? Who can you be uplifted by and encouraged? In your Christian journey, look for those who are wise. Those that display those qualities that James mentions. Purity, peace-loving, considerate, submissive. Then, we can look to them and their wisdom. Each one of them in turn wouldn't deny they're wise people. Each of them are modest. But we, each one of us, need to look... Whose example can we follow? If they have these gifts and these qualities, we know they are godly people. If they don't display these, these gifts and these qualities, we know that we must reject them. 
and in the rejecting of all that is false and is wrong and demonic, we will see the church strengthened and built up because God's people have been called to be wise. Should we pray? Father God, we do thank you for the privilege of being your people. Build us up and encourage us in your word, we pray. Empowered and led and equipped by your Holy Spirit that we might serve you in every way, in every place that you've put each one of us. And we ask it all in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.